without further ado, let us put our hands under the Lord for the man of God, Brother Neff. God, it's such a privilege to be here once again tonight. Amen. And it is just a blessing. Hallelujah. Enjoying the worship, the lifting up of the name of Jesus. Thank God. Thank God. And, uh, of course, I appreciate your pastor and his wife so very much. And just it's a privilege. And they're, they're special people, special people. We appreciate them so much. Amen. Thank God. I, I know that my son and I have talked about it after we've left the conferences and various things. And uh, I, I say this not for any other reason other than I believe it. But I tell you what, it, it's, it's something that we've just realized. Brother Mayo has the vision. He's a visionary. He sees things. For the Northwest, it is something that I, as, and we look at forward to as ministers to come for direction that God is giving. And uh, I'm excited about where it's going and to be a part and thank God for that. But I uh, deeply appreciate those things as well. Well, tonight, it's Bible study night. We're going to get somewhere in between. And just let God deal with it from there. But I, I do believe, uh, I believe that God has given me something here tonight. That he knows the situ every circumstance. I don't know everybody. And that's not my place. And that's not what I'm here for. But the word of God will do its own work. And uh, that's what I'm confident of. Amen is the power of the word of God. Looking with me tonight in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 24. I want to draw your attention to some verses of Scripture here tonight. And uh, just letting God move in His way. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 24. Amen. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of the land into a land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Exodus chapter 13, verse But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children. I'm sorry. Straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones away hence with you. Tonight, with the help of the Lord, I just want to preach to you, don't leave my bones in Egypt. Don't leave my bones in Egypt. That's what Joseph was telling me. Don't leave my bones in Egypt. 
And there's a reason for that. I believe the word lets us understand that. Hallelujah. Let's just pray together once again. Jesus, we call upon that name that is above every name. We call upon you, Lord God, because you are the one who is the revelator. You are the one who is able to bring, to bring divine illumination to our minds and hearts here tonight. God, you're able to use your word, Lord God, mightily, God, and minister to the need of this thy people. God, we're believing you for great things tonight in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Amen. And so... When we begin to look at the story here, and I'm going to do my best to narrow the scope down because I don't have time to cover the whole story of Joseph tonight, and uh, that's, that's got, there's a lot to it, but there are some areas that I do want to look at in relation to it. There's an aspect that they talk about, uh, you know, there's a difference between deductive reasoning and inductive reasoning, and inductive reasoning says that you start with the events that have happened and you begin to figure out what caused the events and you work backwards. And so when you look at Joseph, there are a lot of things that took place that just seem like they're there. They're just all of a sudden there. I mean, we're familiar enough with the story here tonight. You'll let me jump around and back and forth just a little bit here. So I may not keep it all totally in chronological order. But when you look at Joseph, you know, and you see him down there, you know, in Potiphar's house. And we see Potiphar's wife with an attempt to seduce him. And he says, how can I do this great sin against God? And uh, later we see him in the prison, and he, he begins to hear about their dreams. And he says, God is the interpreter of dreams. Now, the Bible lets me to know that he was 17 years old at the time he was, his brothers put him in the pit and sold him into Egypt. And so it provokes a question. How did this 17-year-old, is he just a, another super Bible hero that just all of a sudden ended up in a foreign country, sold into slavery, and he's already got this magnificent stand for God with nobody else around? It begs to be looked at. And begin to understand a little bit and begin to look back. These are the things that we see are the effect. These are the things that we see are the outcome of his life. But there was some place long before that that had begun to take place that began to build something in Joseph. We're not given a lot to work with. But there are some things that become apparent the more that we look at the word of God. When I begin to realize that whenever Jacob began to <coughs> settle down with his family, the, all of the other brothers begin to take care of their sheep. And we begin to see that uh, Jacob, having lost Rachel and, 
And so there was a distinct affinity for Joseph and for Benjamin, the two sons of Rachel. And, and uh, there was without a doubt, there was partiality shown. We can see that. Uh, but there, there were some other things that were taking place that perhaps weren't so apparent as you begin to think about it there with Jacob. And as he was raising Joseph and as he was bringing him up and as he was in his tent and, and uh, there began to be several things that began to be noticed. We, we look at it and it, there was training that was taking place. There was an anticipation. In fact, I personally believe that Jacob had in his mind that Joseph would become virtually the family chieftain. He would become the next one in, in line for the, that would take rulership there in relation to as it was with the patriarchs. That usually it was a succeeding uh, generation and who would become. And usually it was the eldest. And in this case, he was the eldest of his favorite wife. He wasn't the oldest of all of his children, but there appears that there was something there that Jacob had in mind, and he began to build into this young man and began to put some things into this young man that become more apparent as we see him. There was training that took place. Let me tell you, he didn't just get into Potiphar's house and learn, and learn all of a sudden by himself how to do math and how to take care of animals and how to take care of all of the things that happened in Potiphar's house. That didn't just happen overnight. No, there had been some things that were already in place. In fact, we can look at the Scripture, and it lets us to know that he went out and checked on his brothers at one point and come back with an evil report. Well, how did he know whether they were doing right or wrong? Except that there had been some training. There was something there that indicated things weren't quite right. And when he brought it back, they didn't like his report back to dad and what the results were. And when they looked at him, he was just a punk kid. And they didn't like him. And they, they began to hate him. There began to be some attitudes that began to crop up. And, uh, but you begin to look at it. There's some other uh, avenues there that you begin to see that take place that we don't necessarily read about in, in relation to Jacob. But I, I, I just have to believe that somewhere along the line that as, as Joseph was being trained and being raised, and there was no doubt that there were times as he sat there in his father's tent, and it may have been the evening around the fire. It might have been, you know, we don't know whether he was taking a walk. We don't know what the circumstances may have been. A little bit of imagination perhaps. But as I begin to look at this, I, I can imagine that Jacob began to just talk to Joseph a little bit as he began to get older and he began to tell him, and tell him, son, you, 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 there's some things I, I'd like for you to know. I, I tell you what, I'll never forget being back in Bethel running from your uncle Esau. I, I, I tell you what it was like when I, began, when I woke up, when I saw that vision of that ladder extending to earth and up into heaven, and I felt the presence of an almighty God. And I said, this is nothing other than the house of the Lord. And he began to tell him, and I, I can imagine that tears began to flow down his face, and the presence of God came into that tent right there. And something began to get a hold of Joseph that there was a reality to what he, his dad was talking about. I, I can 
imagine that as he began to tell him, you know, the Lord told me to leave there and to begin to go back. And I remember what it was like there as I understood that Esau was angry and he was coming with his 400 men. And I knew it was all over for us. And and I had no idea how I was going to get out of it. And I didn't know how I was going to deal with it. I dealt with it as best I could. And there in that night, all of a sudden, there I was wrestling there with an angel that night. And I know what the presence of God was like. And I didn't know whether I could hang on. And I didn't know whether I could make it through. And I didn't know, but something had to break. Something had to happen. Something had to go. And he began to tell him, I know, when he spoke to me and said, your name's no longer going to be Jacob, the supplanter, but Israel, for thou hast power with men and God. There were experiences that I believe Joseph had that his brothers didn't know anything about. They could have had opportunity. It wasn't that it was not given to them to have the opportunity, but they did their own thing. They were taking care of their sheep. They were taking care of their families. They were doing their thing. But Joseph had been being raised there with his father, being in that tent and being around that area and hearing about these things, being trained, being trained how to take care of the animals, being trained how to deal with the math, how to deal with taking care of business and dealing with all of the things that were part of the family. You know, there, there were a lot of things that you look at. Joseph knew how to take care of. He was able to take care of it when he got down to Egypt. I mean, 13 years later, it wasn't the case that he'd been to college. It wasn't the case that he'd been in school anywhere. Somewhere along the line, he learned some of these things. It it was an intentional aspect that he had been taught these things. I am convinced that both the intellectual side of it and distinctly the spiritual side of it was distinctly given to Joseph there and that his father had a direct effect in his life that it was greatly evidenced as you begin to see him go forward in life now of course by the time he's 17 and uh he's gotten his dad has given him the coat of many colors and and uh, his brothers see the partiality and and they look at it now in joseph's mind it, it, you know these things it was great what god was doing and it was an awesome god that he served and he heard about uncle you know his grandfather abraham how god had said that there was going to be it was going to be in the fourth generation and god was going to bring out a people for his his namesake there he was going to bring out a people and uh, you know he heard the prophecies there he began to hear and he knew his dad told him what his his grandfather Isaac had said you know uh, uh, there it was his grandfather Isaac and his great grandfather Abraham but nonetheless promise after promise had come down others oh these are just dad telling his old stories again I got things to do but Joseph these begin to take root in his heart. There was something there that began to take a hold of him. So when the time came and all of a sudden a vision came and he begins, he goes excited 
You know, now, I have no doubt about it. Teenagers, it's just the way it is. They may not have learned a lot about tact. Sometimes it's attack. And uh, so they, they haven't quite learned how to say it just right. I'm sure that at 17 and him coming across and with his coat of many colors and telling his brothers a dream, it didn't go well. They, 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 they were, you know, they perceived it as arrogance. They looked at him there as a mouthy kid. They looked at him as a spoiled brat. They looked at him, you know... There, there just wasn't a whole lot of complimentary aspects that they had for him. And uh, you, you just can see the attitude. And yet, uh, I can see that with Joseph, th- there was something there because later he remembers in Egypt the dreams. Those dreams were significant there. This was as a result there of having been where the presence of God was, having been where things were spiritual, having been where things were affecting him, having established a God consciousness that was distinctly in him. And so we see things that were already precipitated back here in his early training that the effect of them come later in life. And so when Joseph, his brothers, of course, as we know the story, get ready to sell him into Egypt, take him, get ready to sell him into Egypt. Let me tell you that when you just look at that incident alone right there, it lets me to know his brothers were serious. Killing him would not have been a total option off the table. The hatred was deep enough. It was deep enough that they could literally go through. It would have been one thing to have terrified him, uh, just simply terrified him, letting him be bid on and then back it off and, you know, and, and uh, you know, and, and just, you know, threaten him with it. But they carried it out. This was something there that you begin to see. It was an obvious thing. They intended it. And they, they, it was serious business with them. But then when I begin to look at Joseph from that point on, and I, I want to just kind of look at two different aspects here tonight for just a little bit because there's something powerful uh, as you begin to see what Joseph uh, experienced and what he, uh, how he responded to it. And it was not just a, on a hero's basis. There was a reason why he could get a hold of something and be able to move beyond where he was at. There's no doubt about the hurt. There's no doubt about, you know, the things that came with that. There had to be the ride on the way to Egypt. There just had to be day after day. I can't imagine as he's marching along, perhaps in chains, along with other slaves. I can't imagine but what there was crying. And, you know, he, he would weep. But he'd look at it and say, why? What, what did I do? You know, he, it, it, you know, he obviously wouldn't, like any teenager, typically, you know, we don't always see ourselves. We didn't see ourselves like whatever sometimes people think we're like. And that's maybe not the way we are. But sometimes we're misjudged. That just happens. It's life. That happens with adults. It happens with a lot of things. But it's, you know, when he looks at it. And in his mind, he just cannot understand why, why, why. And the weeping there. And immediately, there is something that when you begin to see him there, he had every opportunity beginning that day. He had every opportunity to be the victim. He had the, if anybody had a right to be a victim, Joseph had the right 
if I could say it that way. If anybody had the right, he did. He, it, it, there were plenty of opportunities. There were things that came to him that were completely wrong, completely <laughs> done incorrectly. And yet there was something in Joseph that when I look at it and see him at the time of the slave's sale, and by the time he's gotten to Pot down there and Potiphar is bidding on him, there's something in this young man that is different. There's something there. I, I don't know. We, you know, we, the Bible lets us to know that he was well-favored. So, you know, he's very strong. He probably worked with his dad's animals. He, you know, was a fine specimen of human aspect. And as a slave, he would, he would serve well in that respect. But I can promise you at the same time, that if he'd have been just, you know, if, if he'd have just been all down in the mouth and nobody could ever get him to cheer up and he was just going to be a whiner and, you know, and wasn't going to do anything he was told, I guarantee you there, there, there would have been another sale day and there would have been somebody looking to trade him off to somebody else. You know, that, you know but there was something about Joseph that was a whole different attitude. There was something there that began to take on something and yet he had no family. He did not have a church service to go to he had nobody to help prop him up he did you know there was nobody else to pray with him there was nobody else that was going to visit him there was nobody else that was around there there were those egyptians did not believe like he did they did not know anything about the one true and living god they'd never heard anything that his father had told him alone and yet something gets a hold of him changes and begins to affect his attitude to where it isn't long till Potiphar has trusted him with everything and all of the business of his household. Everything that's going on, all of the business that's transacted. He said, he said, Potiphar doesn't even know what he has in his house. I take care of it all. It's there. It's in my hands. And he, he, this was a responsible young man. This was a man that had the capability right there of being able to get over the top. Now, it wasn't the fact that he just wrote off his family. It wasn't the fact that he just, you know, just all of a sudden turned it off. And he had that ability to just turn it off. And, and I'm not going to think about that. And life's going to be great. And. No, just positive mental attitude. No, that's not the case. Because you look at it, he, he there's several times when you see him in the prison, he starts telling the 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 baker and the butler about his brothers, and they do what a lot of folks do whenever you start talking about whatever's happened to you, and not. Please don't take what I'm saying wrong. I'm not saying that what happened to you was not serious and, and hurtful, okay? But like so many, they only want to hear it so many times, and they only want to hear it so much, and they're done because they got their own problems. <laughs> they, they didn't want to hear it. They were trying to figure out why they, you know, what they were going to do. That was their issue. They just wanted our dream taken care of. I'm not worried about your brothers or whatever they did to you. That's not my problem. I just want to take care of this. And yet Joseph tried to tell him. You look at it later. It's there that he gets elevated and becomes second to Pharaoh. And you see him being given. Pharaoh gives him the the wife there, the, the daughter of the priest of On. And, and uh, he has two boys. And when he has those boys, he names them. He names one of them there, Manasseh, one of them Ephraim. 
He says, God has made me to forget my toil and my family. God has comforted me in my affliction. No, it's not gone away. But there's something in him that comes to a place where in it all, while he's in Potiphar's house, going, you know, and taking care of the daily duty, he's got himself in a place and there's something that's driving him. There's something there that is affecting his the, his thinking. There's things that are there, and part of it is you pick it up there when you begin to realize that that in the end Joseph makes that same statement over and over: God will surely visit you. There's one thing I know. Then it was right there from Abraham that he said he was coming. He was going to take the people out in the fourth generation. I'm telling you, God is coming back. He's going to do something. I tell you what, he's got it in mind. I don't understand just where, but I just know that we serve an almighty God. And there was something in Joseph that, wow, he was in Potiphar's house. He could look at the daily activities. And instead of looking at it as being a slave and looking at it just from a victim's standpoint, he could begin to look at it from a perspective this is I don't understand why I don't know what God has got in mind I don't know how this is all going to work out but I just know one thing God is going to bring out a people God is going to do the work somehow some way and there was a confidence in God there was a confidence in God. There was something there that he could look back. And I, I just have to believe that there were times that Joseph, in his own prayer time, times that obviously as he prayed, as he began to seek God, there were times that no doubt, like every one of us, we've all gone to God and, and we've, come, we've gone there whining and crying and fussing and God you know, gives us a time to have a pity party. And uh, that's the only party nobody brings gifts. And uh, you just have a pity party. And then when he when you get done with the pity party, God just has a way of turning the situation around. Yeah, I remember. I, I may have told you, but I, I remember when we were starting the church, and we we'd had we had a cabinet shop that we were operating and working in, and we were so fortunate to get one of those special yellow tags on the door that said they were going to shut our electricity off, and you know. It's, so many days, and and uh, so uh, uh, you know, my wife worked at the Safeway Deli, and she went to work uh, there for the the evening shift, and and uh, I was home with the boys, and so I went out in the shop, and I'm having my own little pity party, and uh, you know, I'm trying to pray, but I'm I'm whining, and uh, <laughs> so <laughs> and. Uh, I'm telling you what, the only one that showed up was the devil right then. He was he was real big time. He just showed up on my shoulder. He said, if you really had the truth, if you really had the truth, why would God let this happen to you? And, and you know, he's just throwing all kinds of mud and slinging junk and everything. And, and as, I, as I'm trying to pray and, you know, and, and he's throwing all this junk around, I don't know how it is, but God just in his mercy... All of a sudden, he just brought that verse to me there. I just heard, could hear Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, 
Oh, King, we're not careful to answer you. Whether our God deliver us or not, we will not bow. And I said, God, whether you ever supply another dime or not, this is still the truth, and it's still right, and I'm going to believe it all the way. At the same time, in the deli, my wife was praying in the deli, and all of a sudden, God began to give her the Scripture. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And I'll tell you what, God supplied the need. There's times when we don't know how God and what he's got in mind. He's got things far beyond what you and I can see at the moment. The power of God. And so it was that Genesis tells us there that Potiphar's wife tried to accuse him. And Joseph ends up in prison. Another blow. Another knockdown. You see, you and I are on this side. We know how the story ends. So we can kind of relax and just wait for Joseph to get out of prison. But he can't. (laughs) He doesn't see that. He doesn't know how long it's going to go. He doesn't know what it's going to take. And sometimes you're in situations you have no idea how long it's going to be. And you don't know if there's a, it's ever going to change. And you can't see how it's going to come out. But I'm telling you what, there's an almighty God who sees that. Hallelujah. And he knows that. Let me tell you, as long as you're in the church of the living God and there's people, you have every opportunity to be offended. You can't bring this big of a group, any kind of size of group. I don't care whether it's 10 or otherwise. You can't bring a group of people together without somebody offending somebody. You, it's just going to happen. We had a guy in our church. Thank, well, we did have. Anyway. <laughs> this, was, this was a guy that it, it's no joke. He, he, he offended every woman in the church. And I mean, he told one woman that her baby was ugly. She, he, uh, I, I'm telling you what, he just, he was cantankerous. If you, if you walked out the door and said it was cold, he said, no, it's not. If you went out and said, oh, it's a nice night, he said, no, it's not. It, it, it didn't make any difference what you said, you know. So when he finally told me he was leaving, my wife wanted to know if she ought to blow up balloons. I said, don't do it now. I said, because he'll stay. <laughs> Anyway, forgive me, but (laughs) there's just some people that are so contrary. Offend everybody. Let me tell you, you're going to get offended. It's just going to, you know, if it hasn't happened, it will. Give it time because we're humans. But you've got to learn to get over some things. There's got to be a place where you've got to begin to look beyond what you're feeling and what you're going through and begin to see where God's going to go. And what God's got in mind. He's got some things that need to be dealt with. He knows where he's taking you. He knows what he's developing in you. He knows where he's taking you. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. There's an aspect of that. (coughs) That when you look at forgiveness. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But when you look at forgiveness. Forgiveness is not saying that. What somebody else did was right. It's not. It's not saying that what they did was right. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness really is the ability to let go of revenge. 
when you are willing to let go of the revenge, that's what keeps you in trouble with, uh, with unforgiveness is because as long as it's there, you relive every moment. You relive it over and over. You feel the emotions of anger. You feel it all there again. The desire for the revenge. It just eats on you till it, it just works on you, works on you constantly there. And every time something happens, it brings it back home again. And all of a sudden, it flares up again. And why? You go through the whole gymnastics in your mind over and over again. You go through what you would like to do and how, how you want it invalidated and how you want it proven that you were right. And, and how that you, you know, I mean, that's what you're working at. And you want everybody to see that you are the one that was mistreated in it all. And there's a good chance they don't even know they offended you. And there's also a good chance they're not going to make it right. And there's a good chance you're not going to get it straightened out. God wants you to let go of the, of the desire for revenge. When you let go of the desire, the problem is we look at what the Scripture says, and the Scripture says the vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and that's all right. And, and we like to we try to say, okay, God, I'm putting in your hand. His vengeance is yours. But, um, God, I want to be there when you do it because I want to make sure you do it good, and I don't want you being too merciful on them, and I want to be there to see it. <laughs> this, is, this is the way we are. And yet God isn't going to give you and I that privilege. It's not going to happen that way. It's not coming back around the corner. You're not going to get that opportunity. It's there in a, in a place where you have to let go of what somebody did. You let go of the desire for revenge and begin to realize that God will take care of that. It's his justice. The other thing you need to know about it is you're not everywhere. And you don't know when or if they repented of what they did. It's not your business. It's God's business. You've got to let that go. I can recall a time, and I, I say these things just carefully, but I'm just telling you. I, I know that I can recall a time when another minister and myself got into a pretty good argument. We were offended. For almost two years. It's a pretty long time. Miserable. Miserable with it. Miserable with it. I'd go to a meeting. And somebody would be recognizing them. And I'd be sitting back there just eating alive. Try to pray, try to preach, try to, you know, and in the back of my mind, it was just constant driving me crazy. And God in his mercy, I remember it had come to a point where I was determined. Something's got to break. I can't go this way anymore. And we were at a conference together. I don't remember what the preacher preached about. I have no idea. But I know the Spirit of God was moving. And I looked across that congregation. And I saw the other brother across the congregation. And when I looked his direction, he looked mine. And we began to make our way toward each other. 
And in the middle of the conference floor, we met and began to weep on each other's shoulders. Today, we're friends today. And God, in his mercy, brought it back together. But there were things that I learned through that. Not that I would wish that on anybody. But things that God had to deal with me. Things that were inside. Things that were affecting me that I had no idea were deep down in that God had to deal with. God was doing a work in Joseph's life. And yet at the same time, there was something in him that knew that God was in control. Knew that God was going to bring him out. Knew that God was going to take care of it. Knew that God was going to bring it through. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And so the time came, and we see it when his brothers come back to Egypt. And the thing of it is, you see Joseph wondering if their attitudes are still the same. But he had every opportunity to be vindictive. When he got placed second to Pharaoh, oh, he could have had a heyday with Potiphar's wife if he didn't want to. He could have taken her out and had her killed for where he got put in prison for. If he'd have wanted to, he was in a position of authority and kings and with people in the power like that was in Egypt. He could have had his brothers exterminated in a moment. And yet it's not a thing of serious revenge on his brothers. It's a place where he begins to question, has their attitude changed? What is their attitude toward Benjamin, my brother? What's going to happen when I give him five changes of raiment and them one? What's their attitude going to be? What's been changed? He doesn't know what's transpired. Let me tell you, those boys went through their own hell on earth for a while. They couldn't hardly get their dad leveled out from his mourning over losing Joseph. It had been a tough thing for them as well. And there had been changes that had taken place that God had done a great work in their lives. And God had begun to do it. And as he began to just test a few little things and check out a few things and see what their attitudes were. There was no animosity. You look at it. There had to been a time when those boys, as they got the wagons ready, and Joseph revealed himself and told them to go get my dad and bring him back and let him know that I'm alive. And I'm sure they wondered if the Egyptian army was going to come after him. I wonder, you know, there, there was, you know, they were scared. There, there's no doubt about it. They were worried because when they get back, they talk to their dad about it. And they said, you know, uh, uh, what, what happens if Joseph decides to wipe us all out? You know, they're, they're nervous about this. The guilt is still there. Uh, they're the ones that are actually miserable. And Joseph has moved, has moved on beyond. Why? Because he knows that God is going to call out a people. God has got something. He's looking ahead to seeing what God is doing. He's got a realization God's got something in mind. You and I have got to understand the trumpet's going to sound. There is going to be, the the Lord's going to call us home. There's an opportunity. We can't afford to be bitter. We can't afford to let this kind of thing go. And when they came back and his father pronounced 
the prophetic utterances over them and <coughs> and we see it was only then his father died picking it up with me for just a moment in Genesis here in chapter 50 and verse 15 when you're looking at these kind of things it's difficult whenever there's been hurt and hurt carries a lot of interesting symptoms. There's times when people are hurt that many times it's read as rebellion when in fact it's guarding the hurt. There has to be understanding in a place where a man of God is able to deal with it, but you've got to be able to let God deal with it because he came and promised he'd heal the brokenhearted. He'd set at liberty them that are bruised. He's got that. He wants to do that. He's able to meet your need. And so, Genesis chapter 50 and verse 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. Notice that guilt is still riding hard on them. Now they're worried. Dad's been the intermediary. He's been the one that's held the storm back in their minds. He's been the one that's separated between Joseph and them. He's been the protector. Now he's gone. And where are we going to go? And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Huh, their father commanded this? Why? Because they'd been talking to him about it. They wanted him to write something up. They wanted him to get something put in place. They wanted him to have a speech that dad said, this is the way this needs to be. So shall you say unto Joseph, forgive, I pray thee now the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of God of thy father. And Joseph wept. When they spake unto him and his brothers also went and fell down before his face and they said, behold, we be thy servants. <coughs> they understand this thing could take a turn. They'd all be wiped out. This wasn't just a joke. It was serious business. And Joseph said unto them, fear not, for am I in the place of God? This is a fascinating statement. Am I in the place of God? Joseph looked at it right there. His brothers were wanting him to forgive him, wanting him to get these things, and they wanted to get it straightened out. And Joseph looks at it and says, wait a minute. I'm not God. I cannot, I'm not in a position to make righteous judgment. My judgment may be too harsh. My judgment may not be fair. I'm not God. Only God alone knows when you repented. Only God alone knows when things were taken care of. Only God alone knows what's fair. Only God alone knows how far it's got to go. It's not left up to you and I. This is why God does not allow us to take part of the revenge. This is why God does not. Because we would not be fair. We would not be just. We would act on our emotions. We would act on what we, what we thought was proper vindication. But when it's put into God's hand, God sees things that you and I do not see. 
God knows where and how long it's going to go. And God knows where they're going to be brought back. And God is concerned with what's going to happen to them for eternity, not just what's going to satisfy me at the moment. In fact, the reality of forgiveness comes when you and I can come to a place where we can pray for the one who offended us and see have a desire. Now, like I said, that doesn't mean you have to approve of what they did. But you come to a place where you realize and can pray for them as well, not wanting them to be lost, ultimately. As long as that desire, that hatred's there, you are in danger yourself. It's got to come to a place where we let go of it. He says, Joseph continued on in verse 20, But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. To bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. He said, you intended for it to be evil, but he meant it for good. He knows. He said, God knows what's happening. God's got this thing. I cannot see how any good's coming out. I can't see how this is going to be for the benefit of the kingdom. It's not up to me. It's there to realize that I serve a mighty God who sees far beyond what I can see, who sees the end from the beginning, who is well able to construct these things, who orchestrates it according to his will, that when I put it in his hands, it's going to be taken care of appropriately and right and justly and, uh, and effectively according to his will. He said, Now therefore fear ye not, I'll nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. And Joseph lived in 110 years. Drop down to verse 24. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you. This is right here at the end of his life. This has been what he's been saying all the way along. It hasn't happened yet, but he still believes it nonetheless. This is part of what has carried him through all the way to the very end. God will surely visit you. I still believe what my dad said. I still believe what what my great-grandfather Abraham said. I still believe what Isaac said. I still believe this is still the word of God. He said God will surely visit you. It was something that was drilled in. It was something he believed with every fiber in his body. God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land into a land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And so the Bible tells me Joseph made him swear, you shall carry up my bones from hence. Why, Joseph? I mean, I understand you believe the people are going to, God's going to call, God's got a place. He's going to carry you out. He's going to visit you. He's going to bring you out. I understand that, but what are you going to know about it? And when you look at it, I'm just going to tell you that the scripture tells me that when they got ready to leave Egypt, when it was time and, and Moses was leading them out of Egypt, here they were carrying that coffin. Let me tell you, that coffin had been there among the children of Israel the whole time from the death of Joseph all the way to Moses. Almost 100 years that coffin's been there as a stark reminder 
God will surely visit you. God will surely visit you. Now as they go across the wilderness, somebody's packing that coffin. They get through the battles, and they get in there, and Joshua's divvying up the ground. And lo and behold, part of the children of Joseph didn't have any property. But here comes the coffin with Joseph. They take him and bury him in Shechem. And there it becomes part of the inheritance of Joseph's family. You and I do not realize who all is following. What your life is going to mean when you stand on the promises of God. That he's promised. He's coming. He's going to do what he said he was do. His word is going to be right. You can get a hold of it. You can take it all the way from here to the grave. You can take it until the trumpet sounds. It isn't going to make any difference. He still, he understood. And God will surely visit you. God will surely visit you. Now, one last final thing here tonight, but I just wanted to touch on this just a little bit. I believe that there was another potential motive, perhaps, that is there. It was not unusual in Egypt. This is where the pyramids came from. It was a recognition of a great leader, and they built the pyramids there in honor and recognition of them in Egypt. And for the various pharaohs and different ones. And there were lesser pyramids that were built for various others that were of stature (laughs) among the community. But I believe there was something in Joseph that said, I don't want a monument in Egypt for anybody to look at. I don't need anybody coming back here and looking and feeling sorry for all that I went through. Neither do I want them looking at that this is where I had all my great glory and that this is not where I'm at. Don't leave my bones in Egypt. I've got another place to go. It's where God is calling out of people. It's where God is going to take us through. It's where God is going to go. I'm not needing a monument to what I'm going through right now. Don't need it written out. Whatever I'm going through is just, it's a small part of what he's using to shape us, to mold us, to move us forward, to take us into the promised land. He's got a plan in mind. Don't leave my bones in Egypt. Don't leave me back there groveling in my, and feeling sorry for myself. Now, I'm not minimizing things you're going through or things you've been through. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm telling you, lift up your head. And realize where you're going. Realize where you're going. The Lord is our healer. The Lord is our deliverer. The Lord is the one who brings us through. He's the one that I'm looking for. He's the one that I've got my eyes on. He's the one that I know is faithful. I'm telling you what, God has blessed. And and it just is such a precious place to realize that it's in the kingdom of the living God. It's seeing where God wants to go with the kingdom. It's not about me. It's about the kingdom of God. We get our eyes off of ourselves and begin to realize what's happening with the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ, the scripture says in Hebrews, it says that despising the shame, he said, uh, you know, you look at it. He endured the cross, despising the shame. For what? For the joy. That was set before him. 
every opportunity to be offended, every kind of a situation, and yet through it all, he was going to take the keys to death, hell, and the grave and come out victorious. And he was going to have a church. That's where he was going. It was going to have a church, a church of the living God, the power of an almighty God. Let me tell you, he knows what lies ahead. He knows what you and I need. He knows how to carry us through. He knows how to strengthen you in every situation tonight. Thank God. I I want you to realize that God is able to help you through these situations. Don't let yourself just go to a place where that bitterness because bitterness, let me tell you, it talks about a root of bitterness, but bitterness never stops with you. Bitterness begins to reach out to a family member that should have seen what was happening to you and should have stood with you and should have done this and should have done that. But ultimately, it will go from there. It'll go to the man of God. It'll go to the people of the church. Ultimately, it'll point its finger at God. If you're all-knowing, why did you let this happen to me? It's an ugly thing. Somewhere like Joseph, we can either sit back and whine and cry, why did you let this happen to me? Or you can get a hold of it realize God you're working something out I don't understand it all but you're going to tell you you're going to bring out a people for your namesake you're going to have a church I'm going to be part of the kingdom of the living God I'm moving forward it just as well as he allows it to happen he's able to heal just as he's able to provide he's able to take care of it sadly enough I've seen people lose out with God over letting jealousy And things become an offense. And it's a sad thing. Watched a woman get upset over a period of time. She just, just because of finances, because of things, and looked at it. And the thing was, what she was looking at is somebody else had a college degree that They earned a pretty good income. She'd never finished college. Never finished high school. Didn't have income. Yet she was letting jealousy destroy her. Now, you know, when you look at it, there's some things you'll never catch up. There's some things you're never going to bring to equality. There's some things you're never going to. It's just not going to be there. And that's why I said when you, when you let comparison become a thief of joy, when you begin to let things do that, I had a lady that I told her, I said, quit going to Walmart. Now you say, as a pastor, you told her not to go to Walmart? Yeah, there was a reason. Because every time her husband got paid, now our nearest Walmart's 45 miles away. So they, they would drive down there. She'd see all the things she wished her kids could have and that she could have. And she'd come back and want to go get drunk. Because she was so upset that she didn't have all the stuff that everybody else had. That's why I told her, quit going to Walmart. (laughs) If it's going to affect how you live for God, you don't need to go. 
Now, that sounds crazy, but on the other hand, you can begin to look at things and get such a crazy mindset of jealousy over things that you have no control. You need to look and realize. If she had just looked back and realized God had brought her from a, a life of, of heroin and meth addiction and being under the bridges in Portland and prostituting herself and everything else and brought her into the church of the living God and it delivered her and given her a husband and they had a home and they had children and things and here she was looking at what few trinkets she couldn't have. Wait a minute. Come on. There's a goodness of Almighty God. There's a place where you've got to realize that then have a thankfulness of heart that comes to a place where you realize God knows where he's going God knows what he's doing God knows where he's taking you God knows what he's got in mind let's stand tonight I'm telling you tonight I just I felt like there there's somebody perhaps that you're fighting some things fighting it in your mind fighting it in your heart and I want you to understand tonight, you need to look up and realize the coming of the Lord is coming. He's got it. He's got revival. He's got the, it, it's his coming that's going to take place. It, there's great things ahead for the church. This is not time to get lost into just looking at what things are discomforting at the moment. It's time to begin to realize he knows best. He knows best. He's been good to me. He's been so good to me. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. The sweet presence of the Lord. He's just dealing with us right here. Thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> we can face these things as young people. You can face these things, you know, just it, it doesn't matter. There's all kinds of areas, but tonight... I tell you what, you can get it, you can get it right with God. If nothing else, there just needs to be a place where we realize, Lord, I'm still holding on to your promise. Still holding on to your promise. Whatever it takes, you're coming for your people. My God, I'm still confident. You're coming for your people. Whatever it takes, I'm that's my determination. I will serve the living God. Serve the living God. Hallelujah. 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 Don't leave my bones in Egypt. Don't leave my bones in Egypt. I don't need anybody feeling sorry. I need you to realize that I, I intend to make it. I'm doing fine. God's good God to me. He's just so good. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> Thank God. Let's just, let's just find the place. Talk to God here tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we're looking to you tonight, Savior. Hallelujah. You're an awesome God. You're a mighty God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.